0: Seven hundred and fifty people showed up without me even really understanding what I did.
1: Um, That's amazing. Well, <laughs> no, I did.
0: I did understand what I did. I. I guess after the fact um the term crowdfunding is coined now but we were doing this i was doing this before crowdfunding was a buzzword um mm-hmm. and the the basic concept was just hey i'm not gonna be able to throw a fashion show for tens of thousands of dollars you know for myself and my friends like i would have preferred to do we all need to pitch in a little bit somehow we all need to have some skin in the game and as long as yeah. we do we have a bigger a bigger success for everybody involved and everyone's networks get to cross-pollinate, etc.
2: Hi, and welcome to the Event Promoter Podcast. We're here today with Heidi Luera, who is a event promoter through and through. She started promoting fashion events back before the the great recession in 2008 and has since grown a very successful business called Raw Natural Born Artists, which has done shows internationally in over 70 cities. They're these massive events that combine fashion, live music, painters, uh, jewelry designers, basically everything into into one type of event. I've been to these events. I actually used to be a live painter at one of them. They're incredible events and she's, she's done a lot as a creative entrepreneur. And we have a really good talk here really diving into what it means to build a business as a creative entrepreneur and ways that uh, creatives can can think more business-minded about their events. And at the very end, we get into some really tactical, these are some things if you're, if you're getting into event promotion, like these are the things that you need to make sure that you're doing. And also some creative ideas for promoting events that were pretty cool. So excited to talk to to Heidi today. If you want to learn more about Heidi, you can check out the links down in the description below Rawartist.com slash platform is a large part of what we're talking about. She also has her own website, Heidi which both of those links will be down in the description. If you're on YouTube comment down below, let us know who else we should be interviewing. If you have any questions for future guests, leave those there. Thanks for watching and enjoy this episode. Event Vesta is a simple yet powerful tool for event organizers. With Event Vesta, you can post your upcoming events to event calendars all through your city on the most popular websites without spending hours on each doing it manually. Get hours worth of marketing done for your events in five minutes or less with Event Vesta. Check out how Event Vesta can help your business today by checking out vesta.fun slash podcast. Hey, Heidi, thank you for, for joining us.
0: It's my pleasure.
2: I'm excited to have you on. Um... You know, I I was talking to you just before this about that there's a lot of content out there for promoters of conferences and business type events, but there's not a ton of content out there for people that want to promote art shows and and music. And that's exactly what you did with, with raw natural born artists. And now some of the other stuff you've done as well. Um, So I couldn't think of anyone more perfect (laughs) to talk about this subject with. So I'm first going to give you just a, a chance to just give yourself like an overview. Um I know you've done a lot you're an entrepreneur serial so entrepreneur but like what is it that maybe a little bit about rise, is but also what you're doing now and um how that has evolved
0: Sure um I'll give you the cliff notes So Great. I started <laughs> <laughs> I my inspiration for starting in the events industry at all was I was a creative entrepreneur as a fashion designer I started at a young age I was like 18 or 19 I think when I launched my clothing line And I was looking for a place to market myself. And I felt like in-person events were a good way to go. So I started with swap meets. I was originally from a small town in Northern California, didn't know anyone. I lived in LA at the time and basically decided to kind of take matters into my own hands and create a, an event and quickly realized that it was, um, Going to be extremely expensive to do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to, to create my own fashion show. Um, so I had friends that were fashion designers, artists, and musicians, and I was just so enthralled by this like incredible creative fabric that is Los Angeles, and yeah. felt a calling to want to showcase all those people. So um, in 2005, I had my very first show. I was 20. I didn't even have the proper like ID to get into the venue. I had a fake (laughs) (laughs) idea. And I hosted a showcase and it was a a complete accident that it was successful. And 750 people showed up without me even really understanding what I did. Um,
1: That's amazing. (laughs) No, I did.
0: I did understand what I did. I I guess after the fact, um, the term crowdfunding is coined now, but we were doing this, I was doing this before crowdfunding was a buzzword. Um, Mm -hmm. And the the basic concept was just, hey, I'm not going to be able to throw a fashion show for tens of thousands of dollars you know, for myself and my friends like I would have preferred to do. We all need to pitch in a little bit somehow. We all need to have some skin in the game. And as long as we do, we have a bigger a bigger success for everybody involved and everyone's networks get to cross pollinate, etc. So that is how I came into the world of events. I had always had a knack for, I would say organization for communication, for leading people. Um, I've been bossy since I was a little kid. So all of those traits kind of stitched together and it was, um, it was kind of an innate thing that I had a knack for event. Producing, but it wasn't necessarily something I set out to do. Again, I was trying to build this just a platform in a space for myself and other artists. Um, so that's how I came into it. And then there's a lot more.
2: But I, I want to uh, kind of uh, zoom in on some of that because I think that that's really interesting. You know, it's interesting because it's like artists have been doing some form of that for forever, basically, uh, they get locked out of the mainstream system. And then a bunch of artists come together and they're like, we're gonna host our own, you know, salon right. or our own like exhibits, which obviously is a big risk and it's challenging, but it can pay off. Um, I think there's probably a piece and I- I'm interested to hear your perspective on this of like, it helps promoting events when you have other people involved. And it's not just you putting on the event because you get to tap into all of those networks as well. And there's kind of, a um yeah like a multiplier effect, right?
0: So that is the only way I've ever seen it work. Um, Mm -hmm. I have been a part of different productions where I was either hired on or uh, contracted or, you know, name it, like the gamut pretty much of different types of event productions. I consulted for a minute on those things, but I have never seen an independent style event that is more on the low budget side without giant corporate sponsors or something like that. Basically be successful and sustain it itself without everyone that's participating in on it. You know Um, I really just think there's a lot of benefit to that outside of the fact that you don't have to secure um, large sponsors, which if you ever have had to do that, it is one, it's difficult to, yeah. um, there <laughs> two, it's, you start to, you, you start to realize when you get sponsorship dollars of any certain magnitude that like, they're the driving force and you're doing a lot of work for that brand or that sponsor. And it, can sometimes even pull you away from the substance of the event that you're actually trying to create and produce. So I've never really found that form of financing for an event. um, Like positive. (laughs) I'm certainly grateful to a lot of in-kind sponsors and people who donated things and, you know, enhanced it. But as far as, you know, that kind of um, monetary contribution, I just felt like I was, doing a bunch of work for the brand and not really doing as good of like, I, I couldn't, I was like spread too thin because I was jumping yeah. through their hoops and sticking to their contract. And so I just, there's I, a I lot, a lot attached
2: to, to those. If there's yeah, big there dollars, is. there's a lot of attached expectations attached to those big yeah. dollars.
0: Yeah. And they're hard to raise, you know, like people have specific mm-hmm. budgets, they they want to know, you have to have a track record, you have to have show certain things. And it's just like, at the end of the day, all of the energy and effort for those types of things were typically not worth it. I was like, I'd rather partner with all my friends and family on this, and make it a success that way. You know?
2: Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit about how raw evolved, like you did the, the showcase and how did that evolve over mm-hmm. time into what became raw natural born artists and what is today platform yeah. by raw artists?
0: <laughs> yeah, so, <literally laughs> there. so that show that I started was called project ethos actually, and that was before okay. Raw's existence, yeah. and that was my very first show. And I ran that for three years and then parted ways with the partners that I had and went into the corporate world for a little bit radio. In fact, Mm um, and then kind of was like, this is not where I want to be. Like, I, I need to come back to what I wanted to do and what I set out to do. Um, so raw came about because, um, I wanted, my, my previous show had grown over the course of that three year span to a 2,500 person red carpet event, There was celebrity attendance. It was getting like glitzy and glamoury and we were working with sponsors and it, it, a lot of it started for me personally, maybe not for others, but it started to lose its substance again. And it's like the, yeah. the reason why I started it, um, And so after the economy took a huge nosedive in 2008, I was already actually working on raw, um, as kind of a side hustle, like really like crunching out how it could potentially happen. And then I got laid off from my radio job and I was like, great. I have more time now. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I, yeah, I started raw very intentionally. I wanted to have, all located all over the United States because I really wanted to create a community of people, of artists that could like, in like go and travel through this network or like connect through this bigger thing. And if you remember in 2008, 2009, um, like tech was just kind of burgeoning. Like yeah, I feel right. like Facebook was pretty new then. I don't know. I'm like a lady. I wasn't on Facebook till now. 2009. So yeah, like it was it was just kind of new. And I knew that that was the future. And so it was also a thought that I wanted to have an online presence as well. But it wasn't until I met my partner at the second event who later is now full disclosure my husband (laughs) but he was a web developer and in fact he was i think trying to sell Mm. me a website for raw artists and i was (laughs) like i don't have any money bro (laughs) but um we as we talked more we kind of had the synergy of like You know, he wanted to create a website for or a space for artists online. And I was already doing this offline and already had experience doing this. And so it was like, what if we kind of merged those concepts? And like I said, tech was still this kind of burgeoning. Oh, this is, you know, a renaissance of lots of different. Who knows? Like the future is so exponentially bright with with technology and the different ways it can be used. So we thought to collaborate those things. And we had I had the first couple of shows, they were, they were just small, intimate, couple hundred people. And then when we started selling tickets, uh, they grew and we basically, we would have a show, whatever we made from that show, we would invest into the next show (laughs) and then whatever we made from that we'd invest. So I think I went back to work at a restaurant, like I was just trying to. I was living the startup life again and like being super lean about it. And that's how we just bootstrapped it. Like literally one show made a little bit invest into the next one, next one, next one. And I had some really looking back insanely ambitious energy. (laughs) that (laughs) I was just like, and I was like in a rush looking back, like we grew very quickly in the sense of, um, we went to San Diego and San Francisco. So we started in LA and then we did Orange County. I think where Santa Monica because there's different pockets of Southern California where like people literally won't leave. Like
1: yep. <laughs> if yeah. you live in
0: Santa Monica, Orange County is like might as well be a different state. So it's like there yep. were these little, and then the artists and the culture in those different parts of Southern California is different. Like Long Beach is different than, than downtown LA. It, even downtown LA is different than Hollywood. So We started there and then we're like, you know what? Let's give this a shot in San Francisco. And San Francisco had an even crazier turnout than LA. And Mm. we were like, this is interesting. And so we went to San Diego and then I was like, okay, that's it. We're going everywhere. It was intentional, but it was like, I was dipping my toes in the water because my, my network was pretty vast in LA and I knew a lot of the creative community, but I knew nobody in San Francisco or San Diego. So I was trepidatious about it. But when we, when we went and launched in those places, we were just like met with this like even bigger, warm reception. And so then we spent the next, um, I spent the next two years basically at my desk and just growing the organization to wherever they were interested in having us. And we ended up, I think at the end, so we started in 2009 at in 2011, I think we had 21 showcases running across the United States. It might have been a little wow. bit
2: more. Yeah, so I feel like 21,
0: quick. 22. Yeah.
2: At the, I'm assuming the height was probably sometime before COVID um, or oh, sometime yeah. in the couple of years mm-hmm. prior to that. <laughs> how many? How how um, many cities was it in at that point? Because it was international at that point, right?
0: Yeah. So we grew to Canada, Australia. Um, Mexico, we spent a season or two in the UK, and that was all over the course of the next decade. So it, it took some time to grow those. But at the time of the COVID-19 shutdown, we were in 70 cities around the world. Wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's cool. And the, the <laughs> events were really cool, by the way. I I, I, I had Thank been to, to a couple of them. I think that's how we originally connected. Um, yeah it was just like a a celebration of so many different art forms in one place and the energy of it was amazing. So yeah,
0: and I honestly, as a patron, I just like miss going to it because there's nothing like raw. There's like, there are certainly art shows and there are people that collaborate some different genres, but I mean, like I said, I had some really ambitious energy because I decided to take, nine different creative <laughs> crafts and put them all together in one night under one roof for five hours and make sure they all somehow got like a, a piece of the spotlight and got you know something positive out of it and it's that's a really tall order <laughs> that i placed on myself um
2: which, but, so yeah. which part do you think is harder the organizing the shows or promoting shows
0: um, for Raw in particular, because we are very reliant on the cl- crowdfunding model, because like I said, from all past experience, I think it's the best way to do it. And especially for a community-driven show of this type, promoting the shows is a group effort. So I'd say that would have to be easier to in just in the way that we do things. But um, that's not to say like, it's easy to promote a show there's tons (laughs) of other things that go into it and toward the you know tail end of 2019 we were having an average of 1400 people at our Mm -hmm. showcases which is insane like so every showcase was the best promotion for the next one if that makes sense like
2: you you did a really good job with like photos and videos of this obviously because it's like right but i think that's something that probably helped a lot build each one on each other
0: Yeah. People are visual. And Mm -hmm. I would tell all my staff this and everyone. And first of all, like raw is already really, it's kind of challenging to explain it verbally. (laughs) It's like, yeah, you're going to a fashion show, a music show, an art show performing artists there's going to be hair and makeup artists there all in the same (laughs) place and there's going to be accessory booths and there's you know it's like typically live music venue people like have a hard time visualizing it so we knew we had to do a good job with showing because it was so hard to tell about it i guess um but getting back to your question on which was harder, definitely the, the organizing of it. It's a logistical nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Like, absolutely. But we were able to kind of figure out how to do that and how to organize it in the right format through a lot of trial and error. Like, we, we used to have our fashion designers at the beginning of the show. And, like, we it took so much time to figure out the right combination of things where everyone could... Get a benefit. And it was still a work in progress in a lot of ways. There were still things we were experimenting with because we really were pioneers and kind of disruptors in this space. Like there's the Mm -hmm. traditional art world, and then there's us trying to organize art. And it was an organizing artist, as an artist yourself, you probably, (laughs) it's difficult. (laughs) Yes. Um, It's a different type of demographic, and I love them dearly, but they're not always the most um, business savvy or, like, understand what things take or, you know, opportunities, and I, I can say that because that was... That was me also. Like, I was like, money? No. I have to put in work into something? No. I want everything for free. I want to do everything. (laughs) I want people to want me there so badly that they just give me stuff. (laughs) It's like, that's how I was when I was younger and starting out too. So I get the mindset, but it's just not realistic in life. So, yeah, yeah, the operational side of things was certainly um, a lot. And that our technology, we were able to kind of build over the course of Raw's lifetime um, to really, I would say, harness and organize all of the different facets. Because it's like you have ticket buyers, you have artists, you have artists that need to get credit for the tickets that are being purchased for them. You need to organize the show flow and the pre-production and all your vendors that are going to come and bring the catwalk and, the, you know, and then you have your venue. We always did a venue walkthrough a couple weeks prior, getting an, a venue to commit to letting us come in for free and, and just walk yeah. our artists through so that they could be better prepared. It, it was just, yeah, it was a lot of things and every venue is different and has different professionalism levels and sensibilities. And maybe would tell us that all these things would be in place and ready. And then we'd show up and we were literally mopping floors, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it, yeah, events are not for the faint of heart and then (laughs) throw artists in the mix. And wow, you really, like I said, I don't know what I was thinking.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're probably, um, appropriately naive about how challenging it was going to be. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Or just overly ambitious. I I would say it's both, but I think that's yeah. the only way any business owner ever starts a business. Um,
2: <laughs> yep. Yep. I see that all the time in the startup space. Yep. That's for sure. Um mm-hmm. so is like is that what platform um by raw artists is that really like you're taking all of that infrastructure that you built and just explain that a little bit of, of what that is Yeah. Yeah. So
0: during the pandemic we went literally overnight from like a 55 or 55 person staff in downtown LA office to in like 70 cities (laughs) across the U S to like nothing overnight. Mm. And then everyone requesting refunds. And it was a quite, it was a devastating process, honestly. Um, I'm still like recovering from how insane that was. Um, but the pandemic also gave me an opportunity to kind of rethink and recenter around Raw's mission. Also, I started the company when I was 24. I am now pushing 38. Um, I was working pretty insane hours still mm-hmm. um, yeah. in my business and for Raw and kind of I've, I sacrificed a little bit of everything for raw over the years. And I knew the one thing I didn't want to delay on was family at least any longer. So I was like, okay, this is, this kind of gives me an opportunity to rethink how we can come out in this new world. Cause it's different now. It's just different outside. <laughs> um, how can we come back and still fulfill our mission and kind of elevate the entrepreneurial aspect of it and then use all of these uh, incredible tools that we spent so much time, money, resource, heartache, (laughs) blood, sweat, and tears building and learning and processing. Um, And how can we instill that knowledge and download that knowledge to the creative community at large so that they can take it and do what they will with it. Mm. And yeah, my answer to the pandemic was basically, okay, we're going to come out a different side of this. I had a baby during that time. I moved to the burbs. I got real boring. So I was like, you know what, let's give this over to the creative community. We took basically the, the platform by raw artists is the name of the program. We turned it into a licensing program. So now independent creative entrepreneurs, wherever they are located, can, apply to own the license in their given city. Um, we typically do cities. We also have regions and states if you want to get real crazy, but most people we recommend start with the city and learn the ropes a little bit first. Um, we spent the pandemic redoing all of our, we, we simplified our software that we were using internally to run all these events and we made it. So it's It was more user-friendly for and more nimble for anyone who was going to want to throw their own showcases. And then I also spent a lot of quarantine recording a full-scope turnkey training, if you will, Hmm. for lack of a better word, videos, tutorials, step-by-step guides, everything on how... Raw did it, how we threw a showcase that was both profitable and balanced money and mission from start to finish. And we put it into what we call the timeline, which is, I would say, the centerpiece, and it's baked into the software. So basically, if someone purchases a license from us, it's a four-year term, they get to use our trademark, they get to use the technology, baked into that is all of the things we learned and how they can turn this into a business for themselves, um, helping their creative community and recovering it. And so they make the majority of the income. We make just a royalty and, uh, and a license fee and they, they take it and, and create raw in their own vision. So that is a new program.
2: <laughs> yeah that's a cool evolution of and I think it's appropriate like you can't keep you know running yourself into the ground forever I think yeah. you know as, as people may like uh I remember people complaining like certain artists being like oh I have to be paid to be part of the show or i have to sell tickets and yeah I was actually working in the artist street I was like yeah that's how it works <laughs> like, <laughs> uh and also like I don't think you understand how much work goes into putting on one of these events uh yeah. and you were being very generous with the the like uh, you know, profit splits and stuff with the artists through doing that. Yeah. So I'm, I can only imagine <laughs> how much. Uh... Yeah.
0: And I think that's part of it too, is like, I think it's healthy and it's a good thing for the creative community to, albeit like, it'll be perhaps a smaller percentage that will, you know, be involved in the licensing program. But I think it's, Like people in this space, like artists need to learn the business side of things Mm -hmm. in order to be successful and sustainable. If that is truly what they want to do with their life and their career, the more they avoid that or they feel entitled to something and they're not even doing the research or the homework to understand what the landscape is truly like, (laughs) like, you know, and I think over the years, yeah. Being again, the first of our kind, doing things a little different, asking artists to have skin in the game. We certainly got ridiculed for that. And I think it it weighed on our staff and it weighed on me mm-hmm. in, a, in a certain degree because it's just like we're pouring our heart and soul into this. And it's not like we're billionaires. We bootstrapped this whole thing. And it's not like we made a ton of money either. It's, you know, we're sustainable, we're profitable. We paid our our staff well ish (laughs) and uh they were what we could and we gave them medical benefits and a 401k (laughs) non-matching you know like we we did what we could and um but in no way were we just like sitting there swimming in the the profits like everyone was assuming and so I think that again trying to mix money with art is difficult in the independent art space and explaining to a demographic that maybe doesn't have all of the information why this is a good opportunity can be yeah. a difficult
2: thing. I think you it's know? an interesting angle to, 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 take now giving the ambitious, creative entrepreneurs in each market, the opportunity to learn those skills, or if they already have them giving them the tools to be successful at it is interesting because then it allows like there to be a closer connection between the artists and their own communities. Um, yeah. which, which could maybe, cause I think people see like a, you know, a, especially I'm from rural Pennsylvania, like we see a tech company that's based out of Los Angeles and there's definitely a right. bit of like animosity there already. Yeah. There's no real differentiation between like what type of tech company, whether they're VC funded or bootstrapped or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. but if it's like, oh, it's this artist that's in my community that has licensed this and is, is running this chapter. Uh, yeah. I think there, there's a, a different kind of optics to it and and reality to it too
0: yeah when and that was one of the things so when raw first started we actually had independent contractors all across the united states that ran these shows and our biggest issue with that at the beginning was, it was great for the community because people lived and worked in that place. And that's, so that was the heart of it and what I wanted, but we were experiencing some really gnarly, like quality control. (laughs) And then like even some shady practices by some of our directors and because they were far away from us and they were independent, there wasn't a lot we could like do. And I was new at this. So I didn't have all of, my, like, I was naive when a lot of them are telling me they're doing something and then they're not, you know, so even though the heart and the core was like, we want this to be community, it got to be such a level where we we're like, no, we're reining it in. Everyone is going to work in our office. I need to be able to look after everyone that's touching this because the brand is too precious. I'm not going to let people screw this up and screw up our reputation in our, and I mean, that happens anyway, you know, just by the nature of being as large as we are. But so that was really the impetus for moving everyone in house. But you're right. That is one thing that we knew we were going to lose is like, okay, if we bring all these people in house, they're not going to be able to, they're not going to be a part of the fabric in that community. And that sucks, you know, but a lot of them made friends still in co- a lot of our employees like because they traveled there so often made friends with lots of artists and like literally have couch surfed and like yeah, gone yeah. and sw- swam in like you know hot springs after their shows together <laughs> like so there was friendships and lots of connections created but that said I think you're absolutely correct and that that's something that I'm really excited about with platform is like the person running your showcase and, and vetting the artists that are participating and choosing who they want to spotlight lives. There is, is, is there. So I think that's good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Did you build anything or learn anything about how to kind of manage the relationship with those, those people? Uh, you know, you're, you're a yes. little more hands off <laughs> now, but I'm just curious about Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Well, It is more of a legal process than it was back when we had independent contractors. It is. Mm. So we have a lot more stuff in place and controls in place, but there is a certain amount of me just having to let go, honestly, um, that, that comes with this model and basically saying like, here's my baby. Don't drop it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, it is it's it's different now. It feels like a more grown up transaction than it did when we were just starting out. When it was I like bless those people who saw our Craigslist ad and were like, Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna do this. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna work for a a startup that doesn't even have a website yet and I'm just gonna friggin' throw an art show and like Go for it! <laughs> like they are the reason why we were able to start, but at the same time, it was it was a gnarly period of uh, uh, trial by fire for sure. So, um, but learned a lot, and again, we wouldn't be where we are without those those people who answered that. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, now we're we're dealing with a new set of challenges, as with anything. But they're not they're more figure outable. Um, when everything is kind of spelled out because we had that experience before, I kind of knew going into this, like what I could maybe experience and expect to a certain degree. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. That allows you to kind of build some legal frameworks and stuff to, to protect (laughs) your license and everything. So
0: people still find loopholes, but yeah,
2: (laughs) sure. Yep. Yep. So I'm going to ask you one more thing about the the platform and then I, I just have some general kind of event promotion things and and then we'll Mm -hmm. wrap it up. But the, so what cities right now are already hosting, um, events through the platform by raw artists?
0: We have 19 licensees across the US. Some of them have had their shows. It's a, it's a bit of a lead up time to have your first one. It's probably about a three month process before you like dig into it. So there's going to be a lot starting in 2022, the beginning of 2022, um, Brooklyn's coming back online. Baltimore's coming back online. We're going to be in Cheyenne, Wyoming, (laughs) Mm, (laughs) which is crazy again, like not a place that we would have sought out necessarily, but there's a creative community there and someone qualified to do it. And so there we go.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's a bit of democratizing that like, you know, Uh, Yeah, which cities get to do it and stuff. Uh, Yeah, also the responsibility a little bit too. But
0: oh yeah, there's a responsibility to it for sure, and I think that's what we are trying to figure out. Right? Is like every candidate that comes through that applies for this, we're it being extremely picky. Like we've had thousands of applicants, but we are being extremely picky, and we're still sometimes missing the mark on that. Um, because we need people to be both compassionate and understand like the arts world and understand like the mission and the reason why we're creating this. And then also have some business acumen and understand the commerce side. So it's again, that balance of money and mission, which is hard to find in an individual who also has event producing and promotion skills, <laughs> So it's a a mix. It's a very special type of person. And like I said, we've, we've gotten it wrong a few times, uh, last year. And so we're just, it's going to be a learning process. And I know that
2: (laughs) where, where can people, um, either find the, whether there's something going on in their city or, or apply and learn more about um, Platform by Raw Artists?
0: They can go to rawartist.com. It is up, and you can view past artists we've showcased, et cetera. And then if they want more information on the Platform by Raw Artists program, uh, licensing program, they can go to rawartist.com slash platform, and there's an application to apply. There's a demo video. We have a little um, teaser commercial thing that can kind of show you how, why and how, and then there's a history, there's lots of stuff on there that might help inform somebody who's interested in the, in applying and being a part of it.
2: Great. I'll put both those links down in the the description of wherever you're watching this. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, so, so if you were to give advice to someone that's just getting started in event promotion now, like say Mm -hmm. someone's an artist or has some business acumen or, or just is like coming out of college and they're like, you know i i love events i love live events i want to be on the marketing and promotion side particularly what advice would you give them
0: my very first thought is wherever you are hosting it cannot be breaking your bank a lot of these hmm. venues and i think especially after covid have come back online and they're like fees astronomical and i get it they just had the worst two and a half years of their life i was right there with them, I totally understand. But I think that there's a huge market for alternative spaces that are willing to work with lower budgets. So I would say seek out an alternative space. Do not blow all of your budget on the venue. Just because you have a sexy venue doesn't mean that your finances are going to reflect that at the end of the day. So typically, venues are the most expensive part of an event. Per- promotion or production. So I would start by making sure you're picking the right space, even if that means you got to mop the floors (laughs) because, um, yeah, that I've seen that really break people. Like, they go and they book a venue and they're like, yeah, they're charging me $15,000. Like, how are you going to, that's not sustainable. And I understand where the venues are coming from. They're pricing this as like your Microsoft throwing their Christmas party. It's not the same for independent, you know, promoters and producers. And so if you can build a relationship with those larger venues over time, uh, they typically want to see you prove yourself that you actually bring people, but be creative in your deal, your deal making. So m- my number one thing would be find a space that isn't going to break your bank. The second thing would be to be creative with your deal making. Are you going to do the showcase more than once? Maybe they'll give you a discount for that. Um, are you going, can you take a different alternative day of the week? Maybe it'll be cheaper. Um, so be be creative with that because that's that, again, that venue cost is going to be the centerpiece of your financial future <laughs> for yeah. this event, at least. Um, when it comes to the marketing and the promotion side of it, I think some things that I learned early on are visuals are key people. Every single person is visual. If I don't care if I, I'm talking to a mathematician or something. If you send anybody a large body of text uh, versus a a picture or a video, they're going to be prone to want to watch that video. It's just human nature. So have great visuals, have crisp, like succinct, cohesive branding. If you can, I think that really helps with credibility out of the gate too. think through those things. Don't just like slop something together, (laughs) uh, be intentional and thoughtful about how you're presenting yourself. And as far as, you know, promotion anywhere and everywhere that will let you post for free, do that. Community calendars, event brights, um, promote to groups is what I say. So if they're, depending on the demographic that you're trying to reach, Facebook groups are fantastic. Honestly, they are, whatever demographic you're looking for are gathered in one chat room somewhere. And there's a group for everything. I would join all the groups that you're interested in. Listen to those conversations, contribute to those conversations. Don't just go in there trying to sell your event, Um, but be of value to those communities if that's what you're interested in. Um, And I think when the time comes that you do have something to, to share that, it goes further if you're like actually a part of it and not just spamming everybody. So fa- I think Facebook groups are a wonderful place to promote because you reach a lot of people that are potentially, again, the the types that you're trying to attract to your event. We did some really cool things with Raw that might benefit some some different types of promotions, but if you have a venue in a In a geographic location, like a city or something, you could reach out to, well, this probably doesn't apply post-COVID as I'm saying it, but we (laughs) used to reach out to the office buildings around that event Uh, and give them a slew of free tickets because we wanted People to come and buy art. So we were like, hey, working professionals, our show starts at seven. You finish up work, you have some drinks, you buy some art, everyone's happy. <laughs> um, so we did that for a couple of showcases with uh, a lot of success. So I would say, fi- you know, involving the actual physical community around. Now, again, no one's like working in an office anymore, and I don't know if they're going to office happy hours. So that might be a different story but it doesn't even if you can get like the grocery store across the street or something involved i think it's the more community that you involve in your promotion or your your production i think the sweeter it is for a lot of different reasons but those are a few tips those are great (laughs) (laughs) okay that
2: last one specifically is really good that's you know i've done stuff like that for events that that i've done and, it, and it's worked really well getting the physical community cuz it's mm-hmm. like walking distance they don't have to worry about parking as much like yeah. there's and like you said you know if they're professionals they have money disposable income to spend on on art yeah. or whatever it is like if it's a a music show it's like easy for them to buy a ticket um yeah. or like spend money at the bar and what like whatever it might be yeah. Thank you for sharing those. Uh, yeah.
0: It's a little outside of the box, but it worked for us. And I think it. Yeah, it that's cool. the stuff
2: that's that's, you know, interesting and allows you to be scrappy when, you know, your your local music venues and and, you know, Ticketmaster shows are spending five, ten thousand dollars or more on Facebook ads and stuff. And it's like, good luck competing against that.
0: Yeah, you, you just can't. It's like a different it's a different world, you know.
2: Yeah. Unless that's the game you want to play it, then that's a totally different career path. Yeah. But...
0: And good luck with that too, because yeah. <laughs> I've spent a lot of money on online advertising, even with Rob, we spent a lot. And yeah. the return was just like, not, you think you can put money into something, invest it and then also like invest the strategic work in it. I don't know. I just have never really seen it online or at least on like, sorry to say meta and Instagram. It's good for maybe brand building. But other than that, I haven't found a lot of uh, success in selling any tickets or anything that way. Yeah,
2: We've tried. I think it's <laughs> it really depends on the type of thing you're like having name artists and stuff makes that a lot easier because it's like you're hitting just a very general population. Yes, and it's yes, expensive and then we could have <laughs> a whole
0: nother conversation about that it's like that's part of the issue too right is that independent artists that are newer in their careers don't understand they're not name artists yet not always and that is what typically draws those huge crowds so that's another reason why again we just kept coming back to crowdfunding no matter what way we we tried to slice it that made the most sense
2: yeah yeah all right, well, I well, I appreciate you joining us and, and sharing some of your experience and knowledge here. Um, one last time, like where can people find, where can people connect with you and then also find out more about um, Raw? I know you're also doing some other business stuff as well now, so. Uh.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, well, people can connect to Ra through Raw through Artists and that's plural.com um, slash platform, if you're interested in the platform. Um, program in general. And then for me, I have a website, Heidi, H-E-I-D-I, Luera, L-U-E-R-R-A.com. And you can read all about my history and the different things that I do. But yes, I'm an entrepreneur and I consult with creative entrepreneurs and am now seed investing and kind of starting this new hybrid I don't know, Fund Accelerator. There's nothing like it again. See I'm doing Mm. the same thing. (laughs) I'm going back to like the, hey, let's make this really difficult on myself (laughs) and try something no one's done before. It's just in (laughs) your bones. It is. I just can't do anything traditionally for some reason, unfortunately. It would make my life a lot easier if I just stayed, you know, the beaten path, but I just can't do it. All all innovative people
2: I meet say that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So that's, yeah, there's a lot going on there, but you can check out my website for that.
2: Cool. Awesome. Thank you very much, Heidi.
0: Thank you, Greg.
2: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Event Promoter Podcast. Event Promoter Podcast is brought to you by Event Vesta. Check out Event Vesta at info.eventvesta.com. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, we'd love a rating. Tell us how the show has been for you. If you leave a comment uh, when you rate us on Apple Podcasts, we'll make sure to shout that out in one of the future episodes. If you have any questions for me as an event promoter or for one of our guests, we can bring those up uh, on those calls. Thanks for listening and make sure to share this with other event promoters that you think this would be helpful for. Bye. Bye.